0: You know it's a bad fall, when you have time to contemplate the fact that you are in free fall and uh, strategize your land. Before that point, it had been a wonderful vacation. One for the books. We hit our favorite spot in northern Michigan. We took a ferry across the lake. Those are expensive. Schuster's don't do that very often. Uh, Got to see my old stomping grounds in southeast Wisconsin. Then we headed down to some friends with a boat on a lake in Nashville area. And on the very end of that beautiful day at the lake, I decided to dismount from the boat onto the parking lot in a very unconventional manner. And you know you're married to an emergency room nurse practitioner when the only response is, You're fine! Get up! (laughs) I was not fine. I I had to sit in the passenger seat all the way home from Nashville. I love to drive, and I'm a terrible passenger. And then it took a week to get into the surgeon to have a a four-and-a-half-hour surgery and reconstruct my elbow. But it is just about as good as new, and I can still go through security at the airport. For me, the way I'm wired, I like to put my hope in the next road trip, the next vacation, the next adventure. I get stir-crazy sitting around the house. Uh, Some folks, my parents are the opposite. They like nothing more than to have a day or two on their schedule where they never have to go anywhere. But for me, if I don't get out and do something, I just get restless and, and those, Dates on my calendar where I get to have the next adventure, travel to the next thing, are sort of what puts me in a good place to get through the ordinary days. And that's even when I love the ordinary days, I like my job and I like my family. But when, when I put my hope in the next adventure, as indicated by the fall, Well, the fall actually was fine, it was the landing that was the problem. (laughs) Our hopes can be dashed pretty quickly, can't they? My first point today in this sermon is that hopelessness is living with only this life in view. Hopelessness is living with only this life in view. And that's sort of a weird definition of hopelessness because there's a lot of great stuff in this life and many of those things are a gift from God. But if they are only for this life, ultimately, they do not grant us hope. They might grant pleasure, they might be a blessing, they might have other other positive attributes, but they do not give us hope. So I would ask you today, on a day-to-day basis, in what do you put? hope? your hope what do you trust what do you think about and anticipate most all saints sunday is a time to reorient our perspective away from the various aspirations of this world that dominate our time and that dominate our headspace. space and while these things are often good there's nothing wrong with a wonderful vacation they pertain only to this life. They are fleeting. They are not worthy of our hope. Instead, on All Saints' Sunday, we turn our gaze where it ought to be: on the witness of all the saints. It is the witness of the resurrection of the body and of life everlasting. The apostle Paul writes in First Corinthians chapter fifteen: If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sin that also those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we had hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Thankfully, that's not the end of the matter. is it? The Apostle Paul continues, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, because Christ has been raised from the dead, we have God's promise that we also will be raised, that, we will, that there will be a bodily resurrection just as Christ was raised from the dead, so will we. Therefore, we have Easter Sunday. Therefore, we have every single Sunday. Therefore, we have All Saints Sunday. So hopelessness is living with only this life in view. However, as we look at Revelation chapter 7, we see a picture of the saints in eternity. And I want to take a few moments in this second point to reflect on the scripture text that Pastor Pastor Schultz just read from Revelation. This is a picture of the church triumphant. Are you familiar with our language that we use, the church militant and the church triumphant? It is wonderful language that the church over the years has used to describe life in this world. How, as God's forever family, this sign of resurrection, we are in a battle. And even though we know that Christ has the victory, we still struggle against sin. We still struggle against the curse of death. And the devil is still at work in this world. So we are in a battle from the moment we are baptized until we are received into gold. But then we talk about the rest of eternity, when God's forever family is, is with him in heaven forever. And we call this the church triumphant, whether it's the souls of the saints under the altar in uh, the, the description that Revelation gives, awaiting bodily resurrection, or it is that last day when Jesus returns and raises us bodily from the dead so that we can all gather around the throne, this we speak of as the church triumphant. And thanks be God, we get a beautiful picture of this church triumphant. First of all, it's a picture of worship in heaven. And we see that people are there from everywhere. There's a huge throng, more than you can count. And they're from every tribe and race and nation and language. Lest we are ever tempted to think that Christianity is for people of a certain ethnicity or a certain skin color or a certain culture or a certain region of the globe, this completely buries any notion that Christianity is for some people and not others. God's invitation, the work of Christ on the cross, and the hope we have in eternal life is that people from every tribe and nation and language and culture who call upon Jesus will be there in heaven. Amen. <laughs> they're wearing white robes, which signify purity. And they're carrying palm branches, with which signify victory. And their worship continues, a song of praise introduced earlier in Revelation. They're singing, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And they're singing, amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. And this worship is shared between the angels and the saints as they are Gathered around the throne of God. So it's a picture of worship in heaven, and then secondly, it's a picture of who the saints are and what they are promised. Who are these people? John, the author of Revelation, asks. And we might ask as well, they are those who it says have come out of the great tribulation, who have, been, who have been washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb, which is a way of saying that they have been baptized and they have been sanctified by Christ Jesus who shed his blood for you and for me and for all who call upon his name. And while Revelation indicates that Right at the end, before Jesus returns, there may be an increase of tribulation, an increase of persecution and of evil in this world. We are also reminded that every generation since Christ has experienced tribulation. Every generation has experienced hardship and difficulty. Somewhere around the globe and often many, in many places, and every Christian in their life experiences some kind of hardship and difficulty and persecution and then the great crowd that is seen that is beyond what can be counted from every tribe and nation and corner of the globe and every language we are to understand that this is not just a select group at the very end of time and this refers to every generation of christian every generation of the saints who has endured until the end this vision is of you and of me and of all those who have gone before us in the faith and all those who come after us in the faith weather, doesn't
1: it? And then see that they are sanctified,
0: they have washed their robes and were reminded that God's promises in baptism have come true and they've been fulfilled and no longer are the saints plagued by temptation, plagued by sin, and death, and the devil. The sanctification that God promises and gives in baptism is now fully realized in every way then they are promised peace and presence. The saints are promised God's presence. Remember, people were created to walk with God in the garden in the pool of the day. Do you remember that from the story of Adam and Eve? How they walked with God in the garden before the fall? This was God's intent in creation. That you and I could walk with him just like that. But after the fall, it takes Jesus' intervention to reunite us with God. And even then, the way, the manner in which God is present with us is always through means. Through ordinary means, like the body of Christ, brothers and sisters of Christ, like the Word of God being proclaimed to us and heard with our ears, like Jesus granting us his true body and blood, his resurrected body and blood, through ordinary means like bread and wine, through the waters of baptism that perform on us the function of Jesus' blood shed for us once and for all. But in heaven, these means will not be necessary because God will be right there. He will be with him. It says that he will dwell with us. It's the same word that is used in the Old Testament for tabernacle. And it is is the idea of God making his home with us as, as the head of our family. It is a very intimate family word that we will live in the same dwelling, the same house as God himself. And we will know him not just through Means such as bread and wine and the proclaimed word and other pe- other Christians around us but we will know him with our own senses. In our resurrected bodies we will know him intimately and directly as he dwells with us. This is good news, isn't it? It's a wonderful picture of eternity. And we're also promised God's peace. Think back to the Israelites' journey from Egypt to the promised land. They spend an entire generation in the desert, in the wilderness, in Sinai. And throughout the ages, that wilderness journey is a paradigm of the Christian life in the church militant, of what life is like between when we are baptized and when we are received into glory. God has saved us, and we are on a journey to the promised land. And if you recall, in the desert, they faced scorching heat. They faced bright sun. They faced constant questions of where their next meal is going to come from and where their next cup of water will be provided. That's just life in the desert wilderness. And reminding us, of that exodus story and reminding us of the fulfillment of the true promised land, the new heaven, the new earth. We read that there will be no more hunger, no more thirsty, no sun beating down, no scorching heat. The one who is the living bread from heaven, remember man in the wilderness, the one who is living bread from heaven the one who promises us living water. He is the lamb at the center of the throne who will be our shepherd and lead us to springs of living water. Dear friends, this is the end of the story. So I want to take us back for a moment and remember the Beatitudes, the text that we heard in the book of Matthew. It's sort of like your TV series where the story changes, the scene changes, and they say, meanwhile, back at the ranch. And I'd like to take us back for a moment to life, to church militants. Life doesn't know it right now. Have you ever tried to walk any distance while staring up in the sky? What's likely to happen? You're going to fall. You're going to bump into something. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's another broken elbow. You see, even when we are placing our hope in eternity, we are still planted on the ground right here in the church militant. And to us, who are still this side of the resurrection, Jesus gives us these blessings, these instructions of what the blessed life looks like. Beatitudes is in fact Latin for Blessings and Jesus is is invoking the Psalms here. He's teaching in the way of the Psalms. Remember the Psalms begin, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And Psalm 128, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and who walks in his ways. Jesus. Is continuing the teaching of Scripture in the way of the Psalms, and he's reminding us what this blessed life looks like. And as we think about it, we realize that only Jesus can truly and perfectly fulfill this model of a blessed life. So, as we read the Beatitudes, as we take in this teaching, what we see is the perfect character of God reflected in Jesus Christ, which means without Christ, these just describe what we can't do and we can't be, but with Christ, the very one who is teaching and interpreting and fulfilling the law, we are given his nature, and we can then participate in these blessings. We also see that with these blessings, are persecutions, hardships, difficulties. And in the midst of hardships, and difficulties, and persecution, we need to remember hope. So in this battle, we join Christ as He joins us. We're, we're reminded that we're not alone. And while this message today is not primarily focusing on the Beatitudes, It's it's important that we remember that that they serve as a reminder of where we are today as we look toward the end of the story, which brings us to the final point and the application here. Hope is living in the church militant, with the church triumphant always in view. Taking notes, you want to write that down. Hope is living in the church building, with the church triumph, always. in <clears throat> Now we do this in several ways, don't we? We read scripture with Jesus at the center. We remember that Jesus is the lamb who was seated on the throne in the end of the story. We adjust our values and our thoughts to reflect the final chapter. For me, maybe instead of spending so much time daydreaming about the next adventure, the next vacation, I spend that time contemplating the future that God has prepared, not only for me, but for those he has called me to serve and to proclaim the good news to. We are not afraid of anything that life throws at us because we know the end of the story. We're not shy about following Jesus wherever he might lead us because we know the end of the story. But there's one way that we live out our hope, that I'd like to really emphasize as we close this message today. Partaking in holy community. You see what, well, let me start, let me preface it with a real great story. I have a dear friend, a Lutheran pastor, seasoned, now retired, Several years back, he lost his wife to cancer. And while it's something that I'm sure he taught his entire career, it drove home to him a point that he shared with me and other clergy. He said, John, where do Christians go to be close, close to their loved ones who have gone before them? Not to the cemetery." There's nothing wrong with visiting your loved one's grave. It's, it's a very noble thing. He says, where do, you, where do Christians go to be close to those who have gone before? He said, the altar. It is at Holy Communion that we are closest to the saints who have gone before us. It is at Holy Communion where we proclaim along with the Apostle John from the book of Revelations that... The revelation that we are seeing holy, holy, holy together with whom? The angels and all the saints. Holy communion, we're taught, is a foretaste of the feast to come. It is a preview, a teaser, a, a sampling, a taste of the end of the story. This is what God says, I'm going to give you just a glimpse of what it looks like and in that glimpse, you get, for a moment to join the angels and all the saints around the throne, praising God. Friends, this is the miracle that God invites us into, the power that God, in his mercy, grants to us that as we receive his body and blood for the forgiveness of sins, it is not a re-sacrifice, but rather a joining in the resurrection and a glimpse of the end. That's our friends today. As we come to hold to you, remember you join the angels and all the saints. And when God gives Himself to you, His body and blood for the forgiveness of sins, He joins you with all the other saints, with His forever family, and in this He gives you hope. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise. We are humbled today that you have chosen us to be our Savior, to forgive our sins, and to bring us to eternal life. We did nothing to deserve this, and we are incredibly grateful at your mercy and grace and love. And not only that, you don't leave us wondering, you give us sure and certain hope, and you seal that hope with the waters of baptism, and then every time we come to the table of Holy Communion, giving us your resurrection life in your body and blood, and uniting us with all the saints and the angels, giving us a foretaste of that feast to come, because we know the end of the story. Let this Blessed gift, be a gift of hope that carries us through the church militant and keeps us united with the church triumphant. In your name we pray. Amen.